The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney, and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. So why are we here? Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean in a really big, big sense. I mean in a really specific sense, what has brought the two of us together mm, to yeah. have this conversation? Well, for a start, it's really different looking at you and talking than not looking at you like I'm used to doing. And it's kind of really nice to do that. But I feel it's going to be more emotional than if I'm just at home talking to the wall, you know. So just keep going with that. But the reason I'm here, well, you know, it's great that I have met up with you and, you know, we have had a common experience which has become part of a club that we never asked to join, never wanted to join and wish we could leave, but we can't, we don't have a choice. And it's life membership now. That's right, I'm here forever. Yeah. Um, You know, my daughter died by her own hand and um, whether that was freely or unfreely or her choice or choices from other things there are so many unanswered questions and there are so many things to say about uh, death by suicide and therefore um, it's there's a lot to be said and there's uh, I think I, I think what's interesting we kind of met we've met a few years ago we both lost key people in our lives in exactly the same year. You lost Gabby in the first half of 2018 Mm. and I lost Jason, who was my partner, in the second half of that very same year. So we're sort of at really weird parallel points on that journey. We're now three-plus years into it Mm. and I think we've been in therapy together. We've been in therapy groups together Mm. and I don't want to speak for you, but there's part of me that I think you're probably going to kind of be nodding and saying yes, um, is that the one thing that has made a difference is conversation. Mm. If you can talk to someone, if you can listen to someone else's experience who's been through this, it's actually, that's what creates the turning points in the healing. Mm. I don't know. Is that, have I stepped overstepped by Mm. saying that? No, that, that's exactly right. And I, I think we kind of found each other by accident and it was, a, it was probably the luckiest accident, I think, since my daughter died because uh, it, it has helped my healing immensely to be able to talk with Tanya and other people. Uh, and it's often the last thing you want to do. I think uh, suicide makes you feel like nobody understands 
Uh, there's, there's a mountain of things to work through that you can't really explain to anybody and uh, you're just sort of sitting with this exploded bomb. So gradually over the last wee while, probably year or year and a half, uh, you know, we've shared our story more and more with each other. And to be honest, the only thing I'm interested in now is story. Yeah. Um, that is the thing when Gabby died. I started looking for stories. I listened to every podcast, read every book, sought out every little bit of reference I could find to try and make sense of what happened to me and how other people got through this. And whilst there was a lot there, it was still nowhere near enough in terms of what I needed to hear about uh, how people handled, um, you know, how to go forward and how to come to terms with is what is essentially a completely unresolvable yeah. thing. Well, it's it's one of it's the most isolating experience I think I've ever had. Um, it, nothing has made me feel more alone than trying to deal with grief. It's different to and and that's not to. I I know it's not a. It's not the Olympics of pain, as they say that expression. So it's not grief. We can't compare different types of grief. But I, I would say that the grief that you experience post-suicide is definitely unique. Mm. And other resources, grief resources, generalised counselling. So I've obviously spent a lot of time going to counsellors, trying to kind of talk through what has happened. It helps a bit. Actually, conversation with people who've been through it. Um, it, it that seems to be the only thing because it's about connection Mm. And it's, a, it's about non-judgment too. Mm. I think both of those things I think you feel when you're able to have a conversation with someone who's, who's shared that experience. Mm. I, th I think for me there's a very surprising relief. Uh, you know, I started going to groups. The, the coroner's court runs a group and the lifeline. There's kind of groups for people who survive suicide all over. And, uh, you know, attending those groups wasn't actually... A relieving point but it was a relieving after the event after I'd sort of spoke to people and after I'd listened and you know it was surprising to me the relief I felt because no matter what that person had been through that same or equivalent kind of experience to me and that just made it's like okay maybe it was the I felt equal and therefore able to heal uh, you know or able to start to understand how to um, keep going and, and living on yeah it, I walked out of some of those groups feeling less like an alien <laughs> I, I, I because you do it, mm. it this is the most alien experience everything that you knew and understood about the world mm. is taken away from you in an instant yeah um, and I think being able to share that experience with people who you they, it makes you weird kindred spirits doesn't yes, it yes um, one of the things I like to have been thinking about is you know when somebody dies when there's a, a normal death or not that any death's normal well, every death is normal actually but when there's a, a death uh, you know you lose the future of the life with that person and and with a suicide you also feel like you've lost the past because you can't really understand um, what was real or you lose touch with what was real or valid about the relationship and everything about your presence in the world with other people who haven't been through that 
feels like it's invalidating to that relationship as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell me about the relationship that you had with Jason. Who was he to you and, and what were you to him? Uh, Jason was my partner. So we were together for 27 years and we had an incredibly intense and very loving marriage, which makes it all the more heartbreaking that it's we're kind of at this point. I lost him in October of 2018. He died of a drug overdose. But what had preceded that was turbulence and chaos on a scale that I actually never thought... I, I never thought one person could unleash that amount of chaos, really. Uh, and, yeah, I'm getting emotional talking about it. But, yeah, he he died in a very traumatic way and in a very... I don't want to say public. He, he wasn't someone that took his life publicly in a public park and that does definitely happen he died in someone's home in the basement of someone's home but I felt like our lives are private family life is a very private thing we that's the way that we operate in society is that what goes on in the domestic and the private home is very it's personal it's intimate all of that was taken away it, it your life is laid bare when something like this happens in a way that is, it's exposing, it's humiliating, um, it's raw. So I actually, I, I, it's like being with Jason, there were multiple stages of that relationship. You know, the intense, desperate, crazy early part where you fall in love with someone mm. and then it became a series really of, challenges as he encountered different waves or episodes of mental illness so he was diagnosed formally with anxiety and depression they were kind of the only two real formal diagnoses that he got in retrospect I think there was a whole lot more going on that was never caught within the mental health um, diagnoses or the frameworks that were used um, and we were people that accessed a lot of mental health help for Jay. He, I know that when people talk about men in the modern world, they don't like to talk. Um, that's often a feature of, of um, not being able to get help, not having their mental health diagnosed, and that's what leads to a suicide outcome. We were actually the opposite. Jason had multiple counsellors. He had was on a range of different medications uh, and I thought we were actually a very mentally health literate family. None of that, I think, helped us in the end. Maybe that's another reason why I was, I'm was. i so keen for us to have these sorts of conversations and turn it into a podcast because there's a hell of a lot going on to unpack around how the system manages people with chronic mental illness. Mm. He was a much-loved father and husband. Mm. That's, that's pretty much in summary what I'd say, and he's missed terribly. I, what I hear and what I heard at the beginning of that was like a monumental heartbreak. That's just a monumental heartbreak with the loss of 
of one person and you know you really come to understand what one person can mean to so many people and I hear you in relation to the uh, the mental health system and uh, you know my situation was was quite different we kind of had lots of ways of trying to help each other on the periphery of that system uh, but you know Gabby to me she was like I had her when I was 15 years old so I I have never been a mother uh, an adult without being a mother and uh, so she's very much formed my identity has been sort of formed around being Gab's mum and you know she died when she was 42 so it wasn't young she had a, a you know, it wasn't a, a suicide that happened in teenage years, which we know happens so often, or early 20s. A lot of people get lost at, at that age. Um, I guess they can get lost at any age. But as a mother, I feel funny saying, oh, well, I lost my child and she's 42. Well, clearly she was an adult and clearly had an adult life. But as a parent, your kids are always your kids. It doesn't matter how old they are. Uh, they're always your offspring. But, uh, you know, she meant the world to me. Uh, she uh, tried very hard to um, live her life and tried very hard to get away from the demons. And uh, she had uh, very a lot of um, chaotic behaviour in her life as well. And, uh, you know, she tried to kill herself uh, three weeks before she was successful. It was her first attempt that I'm aware of. And uh, when that happened, I was thinking, okay, this is good because now I can, um, now we've got you. Now we know this is happening. We will be in safe hands. We'll be able to get you through this. Like that AA thing of, you know, you reach rock bottom and then you start the healing from then, you know. That's what I thought. Oh, she's reached rock bottom. Now we're going to get some healing. So I wasn't, I was very upset when she told me about that and she asked me for her, for my help. But I reassured her, for sure, don't worry, I'll keep you safe. You know, I really, I'm going to, I'm not going to let you go. This won't happen to you. Uh, you know, she regretted her attempt and she it wasn't what she actually really wanted. So for the fact for that to then think we're going to help and we're going to get help and I changed my behaviour in response to advice from mental health professionals and because I thought, oh, well, I'll just do anything to keep her safe and I, I just wish I didn't. I wish I had have done what I always had done. I feel like I would have been able to keep her safer. But in this event, hindsight is always uh, 2020. In this case, 2022. And we don't, you know, what we know now, who knows how things could have happened out. And you, you know, I don't know about you, Tanya, but I was, you run through those scenarios all the time. If only we had have done this, you know, there's a hundred thousand, if only we had have done this or that, or someone else had have done this or that, we wouldn't be in this situation. And we'll never know the truth of that because we're just in the situation we're in now. Yeah.
What are the knowns about Gabby's death? Like, what do you know for sure now? We're three plus years into the experience. Oh dear. Well, you know, Gabby hung herself um, in the backyard on the clothesline. And when I first heard about that, I couldn't make sense of it because I could remember trying to get the beach towels to sit on the clothesline and um, at the backyard and the bloody thing would be falling down all the time. It couldn't even handle the weight of a wet beach towel. So I was in deep shock when I heard this and I was thinking, what, how could she hang herself on this thing, that, this structure that won't even hold a bloody wet towel, you know? And it can't be possible. Like the logistics of it when I was told was just seemed impossible. Um, you know, I've, I've now she's had a, um, you know, the medical reports from, uh, I don't know what they call them. It's not the coroner. Uh, well, it was the coroner's process. Um, you know, it was death by compression. I still don't know the day that she died on. Uh, the last contact anyone had with her was on, a Monday afternoon or about lunchtime Monday and she was found at nine o'clock on Wednesday morning so she could have died any time in that period. I do believe based on conversations with her neighbours and uh, people not being able to contact her that she most likely died on the Monday night or early on the Tuesday morning and i I think that's one of the really tricky things is that I, you know, part of the things that are really hard to think about is, oh my God, how long was she there for? Did she know she was there? Did she, was she trying to save herself? Because the first time she died, the dry run that she did, where she said, oh, I was drinking and I thought I'd just try and do this and she did it somewhere inside the house with a dog lead of all things and because um, Gabby had rescue dogs that was her main thing in life she loved it she loved dogs she loved to look after them and and uh, rehome them and keep them and she hung herself with this lead inside the house and she said, oh, I started doing it, Mum, and, and then I realised I didn't want to die and I tried to undo the knots, but because I'd drunk so much alcohol, I couldn't make my fingers work. So I nearly died um, without um, meaning to. And, uh, and that's why she told me. She said, oh, I nearly, it was terrible. She said, you want to know about this? And so that's why it makes me think that it was an accident what happened to her. But what I don't know now is, did she again try to save herself? Did she do this and then try and get herself out and not be able to get herself out? Or did she, how long was, did she suffer? All of those thoughts, you know, I really don't like to think about those. They're the really terrible things because Gabby hated pain she was somebody going to the dentist was like a major event you know because she was so scared of the needles and scared of the pain and you know when when things actually happened to her she had a, a huge pain tolerance but um you know she'd experienced quite a lot of um, injuries and things in her life but which she handled easily but the thought of it was a different thing so 
it's like I don't know how somebody even so scared of physical pain could even do that. Like, I don't even understand how she could do that. But I know, well, I know she's not here. I know her toxicology was clear of the drugs that she had been addicted to for a long part of her life and that, um, you know, she worked so hard to get off them. She worked hard to give up smoking, to uh, get herself clean from so many things and... Uh, you know, it's very strange that really it was the alcohol in the end is the thing that I think changed her, damaged her brain and uh, some incredible uh, depression or feelings of despair and discouragement, uh, you know, made her make that uh, choice. Isn't it it's interesting? Our situations are so different to really different people and there were aspects of what you just said it it there was there's parallels really to to Jason's situation i i like the way that you you were saying how do we actually define an accident because someone can make a purposeful decision to end something ending their life is a different thing and i i when i reflect on the fact that Jason he consciously took a lot of pills that's what ended his life he just wanted the pain to stop yeah. Did he want to end his life? We're left with a whole lot of questions around that. Um, and how, how do you define... They're actually two really different things. Mm. And I would never have understood, though, that there's a subtlety in that before this experience. They go, well, someone has killed themselves. That's a conscious decision. They've done it. There's actually a whole lot of stuff around that that is a lot trickier. Yeah. To understand. Mm. Um, so, yeah, our known, certainly we, ha going through the coroner's process, which a suicide is a, a, a death that is unusual and needs to be investigated, you do get a report at the end of it, don't you? You get, you get answers of some kind, mm -hmm. whether or not they're, they're answers that are in response to the questions you have is different, but we certainly have some knowns as well from Jason's death is that he had his toxicology report looked like an encyclopedia. It was that big. Wow. So it was actually bigger than the the coroner's statement on, you know, the circumstances surrounding his death um, because the toxicology analysis is so detailed. Uh, so, yeah, he it was a mixed drug overdose. And in terms of the knowns that I think have dropped into my thinking about his death now... Jason was a drug addict and I had never used that term in talking about him, reflecting about him. I mean, it's an awful term to use about someone, I guess. It's also a factual kind of description of what was going on within his body. He absolutely was an addict. Um, so in terms of having some knowns, that is one that we've, we've landed on, I think, and, and rested We've rested on that conclusion now that he's gone because it explains a lot. So that begs the question, was he, was it just the an accidental drug overdose? Yeah, so you believe it was. Yeah. Yes. Look, I, I don't, he lost his job that day. Mm. I had left him 10 days, sort of two weeks before because his behaviour had become 
dangerous. It had always been erratic. <laughs> well, it's certainly been erratic for quite a, quite a long time because he had episodes of mental illness that yes. were tricky to manage. Uh, so when you look from the... I guess that's it's interesting. Our knowns are possibly different to other people's knowns because I know there are people that out there that say, oh, well... Jason did this because his wife left him mm. because, and I, I know that this is, you know, what, what was being said because there's obviously people give statements to the coroner um, and that because I was demanding a divorce, mm. none of those things were true, none of them. That stuff hurts mm. to this day, you know, um, because there was a whole lot more going on with Jason, me leaving his daughter's leaving the house as well. Hmm, you had a family. He losing to his job. Absolutely. Him hmm. losing his job. Hmm. Other yep. people might say, oh, it's because he got the sack that day. Hmm. That was actually, that's a, a, an effect, not the cause. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, hmm. he, he was in a mountain, a world of pain hmm. um, from having managed really tough. Um, depression, you know, gut, it, it, the shallows of his depression knew no depths, put it that way. He, he was someone who really, really got dark and low. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I think with Gabby, I don't know. I, I feel like if I say she didn't choose to do this, then... Am I undermining her own agency by saying she didn't actually choose to do it? But I do know that she wanted... It might have been the res last resort or, um, you know, that it wasn't actually what she wanted. And I had a really strong feeling in the first 24 hours after she died that... Uh, like her in my mind, I don't know about you, but Gabby was a big talker and, uh, you know, her, the conversations that we would have together still exist in my mind and, you know, in a very deep way in that I would say it constitutes about half of my brain was that, that relationship. And I and sorry, to, but just following on from that, I know exactly what you're talking about. Those conversations still exist in my mind and they're going. They're mm. still going. I don't. Yeah. Do you still talk to Gabby in your? I. I. It's like I'm still having a conversation with Jason. Yes, I. I do still talk to her. And and but the day that it happened, I really felt like she was begging out from the compo, uh, the cosmos, God, not compost, the cosmos, saying, "Mum, you have to know this was an accident, and I'm counting on you to tell everybody that." And with, and that's my interpretation, and that may be wrong, but that's the sense that I've got. She's like, I'm trusting you to know that this was not what I wanted, that this was an accident of circumstance. And even though I chose it, and I definitely, I was the one who did it, like I'm not, and me as her mom, I don't want to pretend, I'm not acknowledging that it, she actually did it, you know, not pretending she didn't do it. But in many respects, I feel it was the substance and the, inability of her brain to be working effectively uh you know if her brain was working properly there's no way she would have done that it's just not who she yeah. was and yeah my friend my daughter's friend was with me last night and she said I remember 
we watched a show and a young woman suicided and Gabby was the one that said to me, oh, look, that young girl, she could have got through that if she had her just stuck out. She would have got through that all right. She didn't need to do that. So it's a reminder that Gabby did struggle with these hard things for a long time, but she also really fought really hard. Yeah. What is it that you don't know? Do you still have... Uh, are there still questions about uh, Jason's death? The questions change. So I'll come to a settlement about the factors that probably led to his death, the whether it was early childhood trauma, whether it was stress at work, was it an undiagnosed mental illness? that was more complex than I think his psychiatrists and because he had a trauma counsellor, he had a psychiatrist, he was also medicated by his GP. He had a whole team of people who were sort of trying to work out what was going on with him. Um, so the, I think it's almost like I've got to come to an understanding that I have to live with the unknown. So we'll come to an idea about, oh, okay, that probably is what was going... He had, a, he had an underlying drug addiction. That's a big known that we've come to. There's now a whole lot of unknowns that spill out from that. When did it start? Because it didn't just start just before he died. That had been a, a pattern of behaviour that I now, when I reflect on it now, had actually characterised his life, his whole life, for the time that I knew him. It's just that the things that he obsessed and kind of allowed the addiction to kind of flourish. So the space that he used to entertain that addiction would change. So Jason liked gambling. He was an intense gambler for a while. He was addicted to work, absolutely. He was a workaholic. His entire identity was tied up with... In fact, he, didn't, he almost didn't exist outside of work. He was one of those guys. He just spent a lot of time, even at home, he, he was always thinking, talking about work. And if something bad happened at work, whew, the, the, it, the knee, he's, it knocked him out from the knees, you know, and there was a big recovery after that. So I just think I'm, I'm going to be left permanently with unknowns that I'll never be able to. And it's living with things that can't be resolved or answered Maybe that's where I've got to get to. That's where, what I'm thinking about it now. Mm. And it's really interesting thinking about him in terms of his work. And, uh, you know, I, I think that sounds so much to me like me, you know, uh, in that in most of my life I think I haven't existed. Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not lazy as all get out, put it that way, but... I have an obsession uh, with work and getting things done and sort of proving my value or my worth. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that I pass that obsession on to my daughter who always felt like she couldn't measure up to what I was doing, you know, that... Um, and, and, you know, she was, she was an exceptional person. She really was. So there was no... Um, reason for her to even try to measure up to me or my life was completely different and I didn't even think that 
I had any more value than her in any respect. So she ran rings around me our whole life, you know, but there was certain things that were difficult. I guess we both had maybe opposite difficulties or parallel difficulties or something like that. But um, something about the, that work, obsession with work, it sort of speaks of the absence of a person, doesn't it? And, and, to me, that's what I feel about myself is like since Gabby died, I'm being confronted with the fact, oh, you are an actual person. Who are you? If you take out work and you take out all of these other peripheral things, you know, who, who, who are you on the planet and how do you, how do you have yourself? And I think it's something about having yourself. And Gabby used to say this thing, oh, mum, if you haven't got yourself, you haven't got anything. And she was someone who would... Uh, stand and fight you know she had a big strong value system and you know she believed something that like she might have you know had something that was very valuable to her and if she thought you should have it then she would give you everything she wouldn't cut it in half and keep half for herself she would give it to you she had this extreme generosity but then at the same time if it was like well that's mine and you're never getting it but also extreme kind of like holding as well she had both of those sides of herself but in a way I felt like she knew something really deep about herself uh that I feel like I don't know about me you know and I it, it sounds I don't know I don't, I don't want to overanalyze anybody else because I'm not here to do that but uh I, I just feel heartbroken listening about um your partner Content development and background research by Joni Janaway and Tanya Bretherton. Sound, music and audio, pre- and post-production provided by Patty O'Rourke. If this conversation has been difficult for you, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings, or if you're just having a really tough time right now, there is help out there. Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The Suicide Callback Service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start. 